your Bibles to Romans, Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3 this morning, a message titled, The Glory of God, The Glory of God. We know the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. He's the only glory of God that we can know God through. Jesus. Nobody knows God unless they know Christ. Nobody can see God. Nobody can walk with God. Nobody can even really love God unless they know Jesus and walk with Jesus and love Jesus. We can do nothing without Jesus, not even love God, not pray to God, not worship God, nothing without Jesus. Jesus told us that we can do nothing and when this this is kind of a Christmas message today, by the way. Next Sunday it may be more along the traditional Christmas messages, but today I want to talk about what I believe the main thing Jesus came to restore to us, that being the glory of God. That's what he came to restore to us was the glory of God. As we see here in the scripture, let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 22. It's where we'll begin this morning. And we'll read about three or four or five verses here. And I pray the Lord make this really a simple message today that it would result in a greater knowledge and experience of the simplicity of Jesus Christ. Because knowing him and walking with him is not hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. Christianity is not hard. Christians say it's just it's hard to live the Christian life. No, my friend. God says it's hard to be in the way of a transgressor. Jesus comes to take away the hardness of that way. He takes everything that made our way hard because he took all of our transgressions away. Amen. So the way of Christ is not hard. It's not hard to live for God. Amen. He takes the, the burdens that we have. Amen. So you need to remember that the next time somebody, some Christian tells you it's just hard to live for God. No, it's not. It's not hard to live for God. Too quiet up in here this morning. If the way of the transgressor is hard, then the way of the truth can't be. Amen. If we know that, we'll learn how to endure the hardness that comes. Romans chapter 3 verse 22, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, because... All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What did we come short of? How did we come short of the glory? Sin. Sin caused us to come short of what? The glory of God. It's that simple. And before we get too far into this today, let's just set in place here, what is the glory of God? It's, it's our expression of God. It's our expression of God. Adam and Eve had that before sin. They expressed God, His authority. They were created in His likeness, in His image. They expressed Him without flaw. They were the glory of God on the earth. They were the glory of God. They were God's glorious creation. And until when sin came in through their disobedience, they fell short of that glory. They came short. Now they were no longer experiencing the glory. Now they were experiencing the lack of that glory. There was no glory for them because if, if we can't express our God then there is no glory of God. 
The glory of God is not hard to understand. It's the expression of God and His will for you as His people. That's what it is. You can plant a rose in a certain time of year, a rose bush, and you'll see it start growing and it'll have thorns all over it and it'll start to bloom and blossom, but until it reaches that beautiful place of its glory, and you won't know the glory of a rose bush until you see the beauty of its bloom. So the glory of God is really the expression of God without flaw. Let me say that again. The glory of God is the expression of God without flaw. Adam and Eve had that. They were clothed in that light, in that glory. But when they disobeyed God, sin became the dominator of their lives. And they were then living in a place that was short of that glory. So now let's back up and read verse 22 again before we move on into this. Even because the righteousness of God is what has brought the glory of God. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all. Notice the twofold there. To you and upon you. You know what that means, right? You've been declared by God to be righteous in Christ Jesus, but he's also robed you in his righteousness. Unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Keep reading. Being justified. Now look, the focus here is Calvary. The focus here is the cross bringing the glory of God back to man. No other avenue is the glory of God restored to man that all men came short of outside of Calvary's cross. Look at verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace means it was a gift, free. You can't work for it. You don't look good enough to get it. You're not pretty enough. Stay out of the mirror. You can't look good enough to get grace. You can't work hard enough to get grace. You hadn't got enough money. If all the money in the world was yours to get grace, it's a free gift. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? Then you're no longer short of the glory. You no longer <coughs> come short of the glory. The glory has been restored. Amen. You are an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. And whatever is Christ, I want you to hear this this morning, whatever belongs to Christ belongs to you. We need to learn that. You're not God. You'll never be God. We're not little gods. We'll never be gods. We weren't created to be God. We were created to be human beings in the likeness and the image of God with His expression. That is what we will be one day in its fullness, coming soon to a theater near you. Hallelujah. We'll reign with Jesus for a thousand years in Jeru from Jerusalem all over this world as kings and priests in glorified bodies and we'll be dressed in the glory of God. That's what having a glorified body means. That you're now experiencing the glory that you only have now who is Christ Jesus in you, that hope of glory. Hope means something's coming to manifest what you already have. 
Christ dwells in you, and he is the glory of God, the brightness of that glory. And when he comes, it's he who's going to be revealed in and through us. When they see you and me coming down that old dusty road to do whatever the Lord Jesus Christ has given us to do in that thousand-year millennial reign, when they see you coming, they're going to see Jesus. No, 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 you're not Jesus, but they're going to see him. They're going to think about him. That's the way Jesus thinks about you as his body. You remember what he confronted old Saul with before he became Paul. He said, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Well, who'd be been persecuting? The church. Jesus relates the church to being him. And again, you're not God and you're never going to be a God. But you are going to soon represent the glory of God, represent God in a new glorified body because of what Jesus did at Calvary. You want a glorified body, so do I. But listen, we, our, our biggest and grandest thought for a glorified body is that we won't hurt no more, that we won't be sick no more. But it's going to be far greater than that. You're, the, the grandest thing about the glorified body is that when they see me and Dale coming down the road, they're going to think about Jesus. They're not going to say, I wonder what them old boys are like. No, when they see us coming, they know we got a message we bring in. I'm telling you, that's what the best and the most grandest thing about having a glorified body is, is there's not going to be any flaws or discrepancies or hindrances in our representation and expression of our Savior. It's going to be a perfect expression, a perfect deliverance. Whatever we're doing is going to be without flaw. We're not going to be praying on the way to do what he tells us to do. Lord, don't let me mess it up. Don't let me get in the flesh because you ain't going to have none to get in. It's just going to be a perfect expression, that's the glory of God for humanity. To be able to express the Savior that was sent for you to restore the glory that you found yourself coming short of so that you could be in a relationship with the Father of all creation. Hallelujah. That's the glory that's been that's been restored. The fullness of it is coming, as I said, to a theater near you. When, the, when you see Jesus, the Bible says you're going to be just like him. That means you're going to have that glorified body just like he has. So I want to, I want to say it again this morning. You are a, a, an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ Jesus of all that God is, all that God has, all that God offers. You're, whatever Jesus has possession of, it's yours too. Now, we're not like a, a bunch of greed and name it and claim it and blab it and grab it liars today. We preach the gospel because through the gospel comes the great inheritance of God. All that Christ offers us or that God offers us through Christ comes through the slain lamb, not just because of the slain lamb, but because of the slain lamb and through your faith in the slain lamb, he had to be slain to receive riches and glory and honor and power and your faith has to rest in him there for you to be able to receive what he has for you. Many Christians, most don't know that. They use the cross, that word cross, as something in the past. Well, of course we believe in the cross, but the power of the cross is not at work in their lives because they're not depending on that. You must depend on what Christ did for you at Calvary and your marriage will be saved if it's on you that it's failing. You'll begin to look at everything in your life differently. Amen. The provision for God's glory being obtained and offered to, to humanity was at the cross. At the cross is where all things became old and all things became new. And the Bible says, Behold, all things have passed away. Now all things are new. And write it down on your list. I hope you're keeping a toll of this. This is another reason that the Lord has to deliver you always unto death because at the death of Jesus and your faith in that, your view of that by faith, you are now beholding that where everything was made old and everything was made new. If that ain't where you're looking, that's just a Bible verse you're quoting. 
hoping something changes because you're saying it. But it won't. If you're looking at where everything became old and everything became new, then there will be a reflection from that glorious image that will be changing you into that very thing. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Beholding that glorious image. Amen. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Hallelujah. I'm so happy this morning. Aren't you happy this morning? I'm so happy. I'm happy to be saved and filled with the Spirit of God. I'm happy I got to preach to somebody passing through back this morning in the kitchen. I'm so glad I was preaching the gospel in the kitchen this morning. My goodness, it's good to preach to, to some, some place, I'll call it, where there's just a desert. When you're preaching and teaching and pointing people to Calvary's cross, God is using you as a channel and a vessel to pour his living waters through. When you're telling anybody about Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary, you're pointing them to the place they can drink freely of the living waters. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, when you're allowing those living waters to flow through you, you'll get happier than anything else can make you. We'll have a good time this year with our families and I might even get a new pair of socks, hallelujah. But it can't hold a candle to telling somebody about Jesus, glory to God. It can't hold a candle to being able to see God flowing through you to a parched, I said a parched soul don't know why they're parched and dry. Don't know why they're not experiencing the glory of God. They're begging for the glory. Show me the glory. Give us the glory. But if they look to where the glory is poured out and manifest, they'd never ask for it again. They'd just walk in it. Hallelujah. Some things you don't have to ask for. You can just experience in it. You're not asking for God to save you from hell. You're just thanking him now for saving you from hell. Amen. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. I'm happy. I'm happy. I hope you're happy. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined where? In our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus Christ. That means the fullness of who Jesus is and what he did at Calvary. When you're looking to Jesus as the lamb and what he did at Calvary, my friend, you can be the husband God's called you to be. No, you won't never get it all right, but you'll start getting it right a little bit here, a little bit better, hallelujah. And 20 years from now, that beautiful bride of yours will look and say, my Lord, you've changed so much. <laughs> Woo! And he'll be able to do the same thing for you, woman. To give the light of the knowledge, look, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. The fullness of the expression of God was in Christ. Do you know that Jesus, while he was hanging on the cross, that looked like in men esteemed him stricken of God, he gave the biggest and best and most wonderful and magnificent and beautiful attraction God had ever seen among men. To God, what's beautiful is humility. To God, what's magnificent is obedience. To God... What is the most wonderful thing ever is his son and what he did at Calvary. Because that, my friends, was God stamping his glory, glorifying his son, and his son glorifying his father, and the door opening, and a light shined from that door onto your heart, and it was shining from the face of Jesus. The face of Jesus only shines from Calvary's cross. Mm. The glory of God. You've heard me tell this recently, and I'm, I keep trying to get it right. Help me, Lord. 
But in the Old Testament, and you can find this in Exodus if you're taking notes, Exodus 32 and 33, maybe even some in 34, where Moses asked, Lord, God, show me your glory. And the Lord said, okay, I'm going to show you this thing that you've asked for. I'm going to have to put you in the cleft of the rock representing Christ being pierced for us. I'll have to put you in the cleft, oh cleft, rock of ages, cleft for me. There's a pierced place on Christ that's waiting for you to accept. You can be saved from your sins and you can carry with you the expression of the glory of God. He said, I'm going to have to put you in the cleft of the rock. And when I do, then I'll pass by and declare my name to you. See, God's glory is all wrapped up in his name. And everything that God declared to Moses as he passed by that his name exists of, consists of, was everything Christ would be and offer through Calvary's cross. All of it. But he told Moses something that day. He said, you'll have to only look at my hinder parts because no man can see my face and live. And I believe the Lord just a few short months ago told me that the reason Moses could only watch his hinder parts, his hinder parts, however you say that word, as he passed by, was because he had to watch the Lord on the way to the cross. You can't see my face because the fullness of my face won't be revealed till I get to the cross. And then when you see my face, you'll surely die, but you'll be born again. Because you can't see his face and live. But it's better to look upon his face through faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, where that light of the knowledge of the glory shines from, through faith in his sacrifice and die with him and be born again and live with him than it is to look upon his face at the great white judgment and die there eternally. You look upon the face of God, you can't live. But thank God, we have seen, the Bible says, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, who is God. I am crucified with him, yet I live. I died with him, but I am living in him. I am weak in him, but I live by the power of God with him. Mm. You're an inheritor. You're an inheritor of this glory. You're an inheritor of this glory. You have the hope of glory living in you right now. His name is Jesus Christ. That hope of glory, Jesus is going to be revealed. That's why the Bible speaks of a coming revelation of Christ. When he comes for us and we see him, we will see him in his glorified status and we will be like him in that glorified status. And then some few years later, we will come with him. Millions upon millions, I pray it be that many, millions upon millions coming with with him, all his saints coming. He'll be riding on a white horse with a vesture dipped in blood. Hallelujah. It was about the blood before the foundation of the world. It's about the blood when he comes riding on that white horse and everything the new creation has in it for all eternity is based on what one man did on that one tree on that one day. Hallelujah. All of eternity, which is newness of life. Do you know that when the new earth and the new heaven comes, everything will always be new? It will never not be dated. I mean, it'll never be dated. It won't be dated. Well, I remember when we first got here. No, that'll never be words out of your mouth. It'll always be like you just got there. 
The, old, the folks who wrote the old song after what is old Amazing Grace, after what is that, after something like after 10,000 years, still be bright, shining like the sun. It'll still be like day one you stepped into glory because the glory is the glory is the glory. It don't get old. It is the perfect expression of an eternal, merciful, loving, gracious God who's always been who he is now and will always be. But you and I have inherited this glory. We're inheritors of this glory and he dwells in us now, but he will be revealed one day. That's why the sufferings of this world aren't to be compared with the glory that's about to be revealed in us, in us. Mm. My goodness. Let's look at John 17. John 17. And let's look at verse 1 this morning. We'll start there now. Now this is Jesus praying to his heavenly Father. These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. He's talking about the cross. There is no glory without the cross. There is not even any experience of the glory, the hope of glory you have in you without your faith touching Calvary. Men decreeing, declaring all sorts of things this morning all over the world. Decreeing and declaring. Listen, it came out in one of my sessions this past week that you and I don't have a right to decree and experience into each other's life. We can't do it. I can't, I can't decree the experience of anything into your life. I can decree the gospel. That's I can decree the righteousness of God that's revealed in the gospel and if your heart will trust in that truth of the gospel, then the experience of the Holy Spirit will be there. I cannot decree an experience into you and preachers are getting paid to do it all over the world. I ain't listening to none of them. I don't give them one ear. I don't give them five minutes. They cannot decree an experience into your heart. If they could, you wouldn't need faith. Hmm. The simplicity. Let's read it again. It's too beautiful. These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. This lets us know that God was going to have to glorify Jesus through the cross so that Jesus through the cross could glorify his Father. There is no res restoration of the glory we've all come short of without the cross. The cross is the restoration of God's glory that we fell short of. But remember what we read in Romans 3, it's through the righteousness of God. That is what has restored this place of glory. Amen. Verse 2. As you have given him, he's talking about himself, this is Jesus praying, that your son also may glorify you as you have given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. How did he do that? Perfect obedience, complete obedience to the law. He never sinned one time. Jesus said, I never have done anything I didn't see my father doing. I've never spoken a word I didn't hear my father saying. And he says this, I always please the father. That means there was never a moment in Jesus' life that he did not live by faith because it's impossible to please God without faith. He said, I always please my father. That means he always lived by faith. 
You and I don't always live by faith. If we're going to live, we're going to live by faith. But sometimes we're not experiencing the life we have because we're not trusting and depending on where the life comes from. He says in verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, oh Father, watch this now. It's going to get real beautiful. And now, oh Father, glorify thou me with your own self with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, I want you to hear this this morning. This will help answer a question maybe you've had. Is our life in glory going to be better than what Adam had? Adam didn't have a sin nature. Adam was the perfect expression of God until he sinned. He was expressing the Lord, him and his wife. They were clothed in light, more than likely. Psalms 104 says that's what God's clothed in, and they were in his image, so they were, must have been clothed in light too. But this, Jesus, we've heard it said for many years now, Jesus, when he came, he didn't lose the possession of his deity, but the expression of it was in heaven. Let's read it again, verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with your own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Before Adam was, there was a glory there. That's your glory now. The glory that Jesus had with the Father before the world was, that's what he got for you. Because whatever's his is yours. Oh, it's better than what Adam had. A little bit of what makes it better is Adam could choose to sin. When you get to where you're headed, you ain't never going to do that again. Have you ever wondered, well, when you get into glory, some way, if, once you've been there, are, are, is there ever going to come another opportunity for you to be able to sin again and have to, all this stuff happen again? No. No. Does everybody know why? I'm about to get excited. Does everybody know why that will never happen again? Because of the cross. All things have become old. And they've passed away. All things now are new. You're a new creation in Christ. Whatever the new creation is will never perish. Sin makes everything perish that it touches. And it also makes you come short of the glory of God. The new creation will never perish. People get kind of touchy about, well, there's this in the cross and that in the cross, a house in the cross, and I kind of get a little bit of that, and I've even said it through the years, but I've, the Lord spoke to me last week and said, whatever's in the cross will never perish. Your vehicle going to rust. I get the Lord as a blessing God who gives us what we need. But what's in the cross is only a new creation. That's all that's in the cross. My house, I love my little old cottage out there. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to perish. It's a blessing from the Lord to me, but it's going to perish. It's not a part of the new creation. That might help you a little bit. 
And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self. He's talking about what he's about to do on Calvary's cross. This is where the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son met in the death of Jesus. And you believe that truth and you were immersed into that glorious place. That's why the Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 that the veil has been removed from you. Now you can see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And as you behold that glorious image where the Father's glory touched the glory of the Son and you became one with them. And that glory shined from that face. That's, that's another reason God always delivers you unto death. Because you got to be beholding that place where God the Father's glory touched the Son's glory. They were glorifying each other. And the only way, we can stand around for 50 years talking about, oh, I just give you glory. Not if your faith ain't in the cross, you ain't giving him no glory. The only place glory exists is in the heart of man as it's touching Calvary's cross. I'm talking about Calvary's Christ, not a tree. Mm. Everybody all right this morning? Mm. The glory that Jesus had with his Father before the world was was the truth of him becoming the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world even before the world was. You see, the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. When? Before the world was, it was just God. As far as we know. Think about that. God has always been the slain lamb. He's always been the slain lamb. It doesn't say at some point in eternity past because that's not how God operates. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. That is what God being able to deal with and save and touch anywhere among men, it took that before the foundation of the world. It took God being that. God being that. And Jesus is praying, I can't wait to get back to that glory I had with you before the world ever was. And I just want you to go home and think about these things. Get in the Word of God and see that you, you it's, it's a glory that's far more, again, as I earlier said, than just for a glorified body that won't ever be sick again and won't ever hate anybody again. And, you know, I mean, all that stuff is going to be grand. But the, the most precious thing about our glorified bodies is that they're going to be the perfect expression of our God, just like Jesus was without ever the opportunity to mess it up. Ain't somebody ready for that? I've told you for years, the, the number one reason I want to get to heaven is to see Jesus. The number two reason is because I'm sick of me. I'm sick of me. Yeah, listen, well, I'm sick of the world. Well, I'm sick of that too, but I'm sick of me. Mm, I am my biggest problem, Dale said. He's talking about himself now. We all declare the same thing. We're joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8 and 17 says that, and if you're children, then you're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be, look, that's not the end of that verse, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. If so be that we suffer with him, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. What brings suffering into our life is our faith in the cross. People don't like it. And in roundabout words, so subtle and under the table, and words that say this but mean this, they try to pull us away from the suffering that we're experiencing because we are determined to know nothing else but Christ and him crucified. Listen, Christ and him crucified, we could all say, also say Christ and him glorified. Because it all took place in one point, the cross. 
So back in John 17, verse 6, he says, I've manifested thy name unto, unto the men which you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Do you know you were the fathers before you were Jesus? That's what the Bible says. The father had to give you to Jesus. You know, most preachers, even after they hear me say this, they keep doing it. I don't know what's wrong with them. Flesh. In John 6, at the end of John 6, where the multitudes finally call it quits and go home, it's not because Jesus talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That ain't when they left. They left when he told them all, can't no man come to me lest my father draw him. That's why they went home because they didn't believe he was from the father. That's when they went home. They didn't go home when he said, you, can't, you don't have any life in you lest you eat my flesh and drink my blood. They were still sticking around. But when he said, can't no man come to me lest my father draw you, they went to the house. That was over. Because they did not believe as I said, that he was from the Father. They wanted the provision he could give them here on the earth, but they didn't believe he was from the Father. And therefore, it resulted in crucify him. Hmm. Verse 6 again, I've manifested your name unto the men which you gave me out of the world. He's praying to his Father. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever you have given me are of you. For I have given unto them the words which you gave me. Who gave Jesus the words to speak? His Father. And they have believed that you did send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. I wonder about our praying for the world sometimes. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. That's in your Bible, isn't it? But for them which you've given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Christ is glorified in in you because you've accepted what he did to glorify the Father and the Father did to glorify him which was love you so much love you so much that it pleased the Father to put his Son to death wound him and bruise him for our sins and iniquities in that ugly picture that you would have seen if you were standing there that day it would have looked like anything but the glory of God this is why most of the church don't want to hear about the cross but they want the glory they ain't getting it I'm talking about if they're Christian, they already have the glory in them. Christ has been glorified in them, but to experience that glory, to be beholding that glorious image and to be being changed into that image, you've got to be beholding the Lamb and you're not if you're not hearing about it. You're beholding some preacher or some denomination or something you're doing instead of what he did for you. So we stand in the grace of God today. We're learning to be determined to know absolutely nothing other than the lamb slain because this is where we've been restored to the glory of God that we were at one time short of. The restoration of the glory of God is only seen in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning what he did at Calvary. It don't mean his fleshly, if you had a view of his physical face as a man, the face means the fullness of who he was. That's why God told Moses, you can't see my face and live. You see my face, it's the fullness of who I am and you'll die, you'll have to die. That's powerful, isn't it? Well, I'm going to go ahead and quit today. I really do hope you'd go listen to this again. I think I'm going to have to.
And I know when I do, I'll sit there with my jaw dropped, saying, my Lord, the glory of God has been restored. Not only is it restored, but it's in me. We're, listen, we're not called to strive and beg for the glory. We're called to strive together for the faith of the gospel because that's what gives us the experience of the glory we already have in Christ. We're not called to beg God for the glory. He took care of that begging problem 2,000 years ago. We're called to strive, to be found striving together for the faith of the gospel because that's where the glory was restored. That's where the, 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 the God gives us, he delivers us up. I, the Lord was ministering to me a couple of days ago and said, I, if, listen, if I delivered my son up for you, I'm not going to deliver you anywhere else either. Where I delivered my son up for you is where I'm delivering you up to every moment of your life. There's never a moment in your life that you'll have to wonder what God is doing. He's delivering you under the death of his son so that you can express the glory that emanates from him in that work he did there. Christians running around, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you do. Get in the Bible. That's number one. You get in the Word, the Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, is going to lead you to the place where he's, God is delivering you always unto so that you can behold and remember at all times that who you used to be, you are no more, and who you will forever be in Christ. You, it, you behold it there. You behold it there. You'll never be satisfied with the Lord leading your life, filling your life. You'll never be satisfied with giving him all of you unless you're beholding where he gave everything for you. You'll never do it. You'll beg God, oh, Lord, do this. Oh, Lord, do that. But if you'll behold the lamb slain, then you'll be looking at what God did and through that is doing in your life. You need God's help? Look to what Jesus did. He's your help. I know from where my help comes from. It ain't up on no mountain somewhere. It was up on Golgotha's hill. <laughs> I know from where my help comes from. Comes from a man named Jesus. Delivered up on the cross. That so God with him, with him, freely gives us all things. But you got to be beholding that. Well, I don't want to hear about the cross no more. I can't make you. I can't save you. I, listen, you, you'll reach a place where you're crying out like me and the apostle Paul and many others, who going to save this old wretched man from himself? And then God will start helping you to look to where your help comes from. You got to behold the lamb. Because when you behold the lamb, you see what God did for you to restore the glory that you had fallen short of. But you also begin to see who you need to be in him. Ain't no other place to grow. Ain't no other place to behold the glory unless you behold in the glorious Lamb. See, this was a Christmas message this morning. You know why? Merry Christmas. God sent His Son to restore the glory we lost. Merry Christmas. The glory has been restored. That's why as Pastor Patrick said, Christmas... Yeah, we, 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 hone, we hone in, if you will, on the virgin birth, but the virgin birth's all about a sacrifice. That's all the virgin birth is about. Everything before the cross is about the cross, even the virgin birth. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus being born of a virgin without men involved, that's the way you were born again without men involved. See, he's even the perfect expression of what it means to be born without 
the hands of men. That's powerful, isn't it? So can I end this service by saying, Merry Christmas. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that God has crowned our year with goodness and has dropped abundance. The Bible calls it fatness in his path for us. We've experienced that goodness and abundance this year through the good, through the bad, and through all the ugly. We still standing. We still standing and we still beholding the glorious image that God gave us to look at moment by moment. Every moment of your life. Worthy is the Lamb. Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Lamb of God. He's the one we sang about all morning. He's the one we sing about every time we get together. He's the one we preach and teach. He's the one we point to. He's the answer, not just for this season. He's the answer for every moment. Or you don't have one that's going to work for you. Amen? Do you know I love you? Everybody say, I love. Brother Curtis. Hallelujah. I'm glad we love each other. I heard a preacher say one time, if you know I love you and I know you love me, we'll be together till the rapture. Unless the Lord moves us in ministerial ways. Amen. That love, that love of God is really the root of what restored the glory of God to humanity. But it took the cross. It took the love of the Father loving His Son, loving us. And it took the love of the Son for the Father to provide that glory to be restored for us. But it also, listen, I've said it, I'm going to close with this. The Father loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son The Son, Jesus Christ, loves us so much that He came and gave Himself for us. And the Holy Spirit loves us so much that He only delivers us unto that place so that we can behold that glorious image, that love, mercy, and grace. Everything that that Lamb provided is yours, as much of it as you desire. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning?